Hour two of the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app. We will get back to the Commanders coming up in just a few minutes. Linnell for Overreaction Tuesday. Right now, though, it is time for Not My Beat. Today's top story from the perspective of someone who's there. You are looking live. This just in. Not My Beat. Well, it may not be the top story in terms of the most important thing. Um, This is one of the more important stories I've read in D.C. sports in terms of on the field, on the court, and a hot second. Inside the Wizards Rebuild is a three-part series from The Athletic, co-authored by David Aldridge and our guest, Josh Robbins. Josh, first of all, happy holidays. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm doing well. Thank you for that nice walk-up music. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, We got to get the vibe right. Um, So you... This you, is why you guys are the best. And we're, we're trying. Our, our little engine that can over here. Um, so you and David embarked on something that I think is really important. If you're a Wizards fan and you are trying to understand, like, where is this thing headed? You know, they talk about small wins. What are they? And um, you go on in the series, for instance, in part two, to talk about some of the amenities that the players have had in terms of chefs and uh, different things in the practice facility that are going to enhance, and as Michael Winger, I think, brilliantly says, reduce friction on the way to success, even if they won't directly cause it. But in terms of that, that first part of the series that you focused in on, the small wins, why is that so important? And also, I think you did a really good job in the piece of kind of caveating, like, hey, this does not mean they're going to win basketball games, at least yet. Do you think that this is actually the right approach? This element of the rebuild is the right approach. You know, I've covered one of these rebuilds before, and um, it, it's in a, the word we used in one of our pieces is corrosive. Losing is corrosive, and they're losing a lot. There's no question. And one of the ways to counterbalance that is to emphasize individual improvement, preferably in areas that would benefit the team. So if I'm Daniel Gafford and I'm trying to get 21% of all defensive rebounds, that would benefit the team. And when the team is losing so many games, there has to be something, there has to be other things for the players, the coaches, the staff members to latch onto and to shoot for. And therefore, this is important. And it's also important that players improve and that the Wizards start to build a reputation in the league for players to be able to to point to that franchise and say, that's a place where guys get better. Do you think that that is happening? And and I know we're very early in this. Um, we're one se- We're less than uh, half a season. We're like a quarter of one season into what will probably be a multi-year thing. But as someone who, unlike most of us, who is like, I don't know if I have to watch the Wizards game tonight. You do. You're a beat reporter. That is your job. Are you starting to see some of those incremental improvements week over week, game over game? Yes, and in some in some cases, they're they're not only incremental improvements. I would think that Bilal is improving uh, quite a bit. Denny Abia has improved more than quite a bit. Daniel Gafford is shown, showing signs of improvement. I think some guys, uh, you know, Kyle Kuzma for one, um, you know, Tyus Jones. Difficult to pinpoint specific improvements, partly because they are 28 and 27 years old. Um, that it, it's very difficult to pinpoint that kind of growth. So 
for the younger guys, I think it's happening. I think for the older guys, it's much more difficult to identify. Um, Josh Robbins, the athletic Wizards beat reporters with us here on the Hoffman Show. I cannot recommend this series enough kind of inside the Wizards rebuild. Um, you mentioned the Gafford stat. That that's one you got your hands on. Twenty one percent of of team of total rebounds available. They want him to get. How closely guarded is this information and how hard has it been to get the actual numbers or even an idea of what numbers that Michael uh, Winger and Will Dawkins are looking for? Some of it is difficult. Some of it is some of the generalities are, are relatively simple. It, it varies. It, sometimes it varies from player to player. Uh, with regard to Bilal, who is so young and for whom fans' hopes are so high, and rightly so, uh, I think that they are, I think it's safe to say that the team is more reluctant to share specific goals. So it, in, in my opinion, if he doesn't meet those goals, that he doesn't get roasted. Right. If that makes sense. They, they need to take a very long-term patient approach to his development. And he's, he's certainly exceeding, I think, expectations, but if I were in the wizard's shoes, I, I'd be very reluctant to heap any pressure on him. So I think withholding specific numbers um, in his case is probably a smart strategy. Now I would prefer to have the numbers. And I would prefer to publish those numbers. <laughs> right. Uh, we didn't get them. And um, so some are easier, some are more difficult to get. For example, um, even with regard to Anthony Gill, who's probably the most open player on the team in many respects, he wouldn't share his own numbers, even though there's probably very little uh, amount of clamor within Wizards Nation, if you can call it that, for his specific goals. So it, I would say it varies from player to player. Um, one guy you did get, and I thought this was super interesting, was Corey Kispert, uh, who's also extremely open. He's like, this is what it is, and this is what we're doing. That is the Corey Kispert way, and I both respect the hell out of it and love it as a journalist. Um, but what was, to, to give folks uh, in the audience an example here, what was Corey's number, and how has he really owned that this season? Well, I'm the co-author of that piece, and <laughs> I can't exactly remember, but I can, I can generalize. They are looking for him, and really everybody on the roster, uh, to be honing in on their specific shot profiles, to try to hone in on doing what they do best and taking the shots that make the most sense for the team. In Corey's case, uh, it would be three-pointers, preferably below the break, and shots at the rim. I think that's safe to say for pretty much every player except um, Gafford. Right. It, yeah, He's just the shots below the rim. Yes, and I don't mean that as a slight to Dang, uh, What I'm trying to say yeah. is, is that the whole league uh, shooting a mid-range shot outside of the paint is anathema. That's the word we use. So in, in Corey's case in particular, they want him honing in on his threes and he's an elite three-point shooter and attacking the rim and he's a good finisher at the rim uh, so they're very he's taken very very few mid-range shots and some of those are, are what I would imagine NBA players call grenades you know where you, you get the ball late in the shot clock and you just absolutely have to put up a shot 
So uh, he's he has made significant progress in eliminating those non-paint two-point attempts. Yeah, no, and and as you guys wrote in the piece, uh, it, it was shots within four feet, three pointers, and uh, there was a great quote from him, like. I don't know whether it was you or David who had the exchange with him uh, through 12 games of the season, but you started to ask him about it, and he were like, "How many ga- or how many shots?" And he goes, "100 percent." And he, at that point, he had not taken a single one, as you mentioned, some grenades uh, since then. Josh Robbins is with us here on the Hoffman Show. So uh, the the last guy I want to ask you about real quick, though, Josh is is going to just ruin the good vibes because if there is one big disappointment this year for Washington, it is undoubtedly been Jordan Poole there was a thought that he would grow and that he would be doing you know, his numbers would get better based off of what they had been they were kind of what they had been for a while and have now dipped below what he was doing in Golden State despite being a featured guy here and a bench guy there in the conversations you've had around this piece and also just generally like what are they trying to get out of Jordan Poole and and why do the, the folks around the organization and why do you uh, think that hasn't happened yet Well, they need him to be a primary scorer, and they need him to have a a pretty high volume of shots, preferably shots that make sense. Uh, You're correct. He's been very inefficient. Not Actually, lately, he's shown signs of of real life offensively uh, against Indiana and their win, and um, last night, for instance. Yes. So... It's taken him time to adjust to a a bigger role and also to being the the person other teams are undoubtedly focusing on, uh, Jordan and Kuz. He's also taken time to, I think, adjust to new teammates and teammates adjust to him. And when I say that, I mean on the court, on the court. Um, there, there's an element... As good as NBA players are, um, it it takes time for them to learn each other's games. You know, this is not baseball. This is not even football, right? Um, this is a more free-flowing, more creative game that requires more improvisation. So um, his game is ought to be heavy on improvisation. And I think that's part of the reason why he has struggled. Um, you're right. He, he hasn't played up to the world's expectations for him. Uh, team officials say he's going to need time to really get comfortable, uh, maybe even the midseason. Uh, he said not too long ago it could take a full season, which, of course, I think Wizards fans would find um, ridiculous. They would they would say that. Um for some reason, Jordan Poole gets a, a heck of a lot less leeway um, than almost any other NBA player I've ever covered. It's a very interesting phenomenon for which I don't quite have the explanation. Yeah, no, I think that's an interesting point. And um, I think there's probably a lot of potential expectation or explanations, but we could probably spend another hour trying to suss them all out. So instead, we'll just leave that uh, that thought for pondering uh, amongst ourselves and amongst the audience. Josh, the piece is so good. Um, I got part three teed up to read tonight after the show. Um, thanks, as always, for, for coming on the show and uh, great work on this. 
Hey, thank you for having me. Uh, Merry Christmas to everybody out there and, and to you. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, and same right back yep. at you. That is Josh Robbins, everybody, from The Athletic with us here on The Hoffman Show. When we get back, Linnell and I go back and forth on the uh, the old quarterback offensive coordinator situation in Washington. The offensive environment under the microscope. It's overreaction Tuesday. Next. It is overreaction Tuesday time. Linnell is with us and uh, the takes were spicy on Twitter over the weekend. I don't know how they are 48 hours later. Uh, I do know the commanders have lost five straight games. They're four and 10. It's a bad football team. Everyone's rough and angry. And oh, by the way, the quarterback got benched. Where do you want to start? You want to start with the defense? You want to start with the quarterback? Where do you want to go? I want to start with you and your sassy Twitter spat that you were in. Uh, on Sunday, I was me and Denton were having a really good time reading your tweets on air. You and Brendan Dar had a nice back and forth uh, about the quarterback and the offense. And I thought it was interesting. You both make very good points. I already know where you stand on the topic. So I already kind of knew where you were coming from uh, with all of it. I'll say this. Obviously, benching Sam was never a good option. Because if you were going to do that, you probably should have done it a long time ago. But I will say this, for the final three games of the season, if you're going to try and get the best look at everyone in your offense, would you think that Jacoby would give you a better chance to do so? And when I say everyone in your offense, I mean personnel and then the coaching staff in terms of Eric Bieniemy calling certain things and being able to get to certain things. Nope, because no. none of it matters. Like, the, I think if you want to defend Bieniemy and be like, see, Jacoby can do it, that's not actually a defensive Bieniemy. It's telling me that Eric is stubborn and has his system and he was not willing to fit it to a young quarterback who does not have the same experiences as Jacoby Brissett, who does not have the same experiences as Patrick Mahomes. And the job was not offensive coordinator generic. It's offensive coordinator for the commanders and the offensive coordinator for the commanders in 2023. And he has, as part of many other failures, been unable to create an offense that consistently week in and week out either wins football games, develops the quarterback or both. And that was where I started the show yesterday. It was just like the idea that this is somehow good for development and it'll all be worth it. Like is nonsense. This is just not how you do it. This is not how you develop a quarterback in the NFL. This is how, you know, and I've used this analogy now for a couple of days. Like when you teach a kid to ride a bike you give him training wheels and then you hold the back of the seat and you don't just be like, Hey buddy, get on your bike and go fall over. Cause all that happens. Highway, yeah. yeah. Like all that happens is the kid falls over time and time again. They don't actually learn anything. They just fall a lot. You have to, you have to get the steps in the process and they just threw Sam to the wolves this year. And you know, it, maybe one of the worst thing that happens was it kind of worked early, but it didn't leave a lot of room to evolve. And I, I just think there's a lot of things they could have done to make this season more fruitful either in wins or better for Sam as it went or both. And they failed in that. And so like, what am I really evaluating on the offensive side over these last couple of weeks? I I've already learned that about EB. Um, none of the offensive linemen I have that many questions about. Um, that doesn't mean all the answers are good, but I don't have that many questions. And on the receiver position, I would like to see Jahan have a stronger finish to the season. But at the same time, like, I don't think Jahan stinks. I think that this offense is not conducive to wide receiver success the way it's currently being run. So um, there's a lot of there's a lot of issues very clearly. And not all of them are direct reflections of the enemy, to be very clear. 
but I actually don't have that many questions and getting Sam the experience, hopefully in a more conducive environment to success over these final three games is a bigger priority for me. Yeah, I think if I had to make a decision or the team had to make a decision right now as to whether or not you want to move forward with him, he's under contract next year. So I think he's going to be on the roster one way or another, but I'm more Sunday was disappointing for me because early and often, like you're, you're seeing him. First of all, I, I disagree with you saying like the, the answers are there. He's Sam's just not getting to them. I feel like, like he's scheming people open and he's missing chunk plays week in and week out. And like, you know, this, those are the difference between being a top 20 offense and maybe a top half of the league offense. You hit For on sure. some of these deep shots that are there every week and maybe you have better results. I, I just don't – I feel like Sam's broken at this point. And I hate that we're here, and I hate seeing this happen to young quarterbacks. And I think everyone involved had played a hand into his brokenness, him, the coordinator, the offensive line. But I think – what are we getting ready to enter week 16? He's a broken football player to me right now. Yeah, well, that, that gets to, like, kind of – it kind of is my point, though. It's just framing it in a different light and shifting the blame of whose fault it is. Like, the answers are there on paper. Every offense works on paper. And by the way, the answers are there sometimes on the field. And Sam does need to hit them. And there's an accountability that he needs to take for that. And he has. He's handled everything remarkably well for a young player. But as a coordinator, my job is to make it so he does. My job is to is to find the things that he does well and get them get to them in places where he can succeed. So there's a great example in this game that I'm sure you've seen. Nikki Javala tweeted it out. Uh, Mark Bullock included it in his uh, recap that I was just reading uh, earlier today. That but, but he, Craig, not to, not to cut you off, that play in particular. So what the is, play we're talking about is is the fourth down oh. conversion to Sam Howell or to Terry McLaurin. Sam misses Jonathan Williams wide open on a wheel route up the sideline. Is that something that you think is happening multiple times a week the last every game this season pretty much? Because that's, yeah. that's like – that's a big miss, Craig. And like that it in is. particular – like we do the in-game show, and I didn't even get the chance to – I normally don't get the chance to tweet. I was tweeting this week because I wasn't watching as much of the game. But you saw it right away. And I'm like – it goes back to my thing. It's like what is he looking at pre and post now? And mm. like – if you are going to be really as limited as he is in that area, don't you think it puts more stress on the enemy as to what he can call the enemy had a great line during his press conference last week. I don't know if he was being like condescending when he said it, but he said, he's not going to put anything uh, on the play script that Sam doesn't like. So with that being the circumstance, Sam is obviously comfortable enough with the play call that it's being called. He's just got to execute it. And it goes back to something I said back in October. I need him to make the layups more often, right? A lot of the times he's, he's holding the ball, forcing the big play, and there are checkdowns available for him underneath. If you watched Drew Locke last night, I thought Drew Locke did a good job of taking what the defense was giving him, taking that four-yard completion and getting yourself into second and six instead of being in these second and longs. Howell and Jalen Hurts are very similar with that, that they've really went for the home ball a lot, the home run ball a lot this year. And I feel like for Sam, you can't go broke taking a profit. And if you continue to work the stuff underneath, I think, in essence, it opens up the stuff uh, in the deep passing game as well. No, I think you're 100% correct. And that is Sam's biggest role in this is like if he could just make some layups, this offense would look different. Um, there's a play where he the one where he throws behind Gibson and Gibson stumbles for six yards as he falls and catches that out of bounds. If Sam like lost the ball out in front of AG, he is so out leveraged uh, and the linebacker is covering him in man coverage is so out leveraged 
that it might be a touchdown. Like he might catch a swing pass. It's a seven yard in the in the air ball, or maybe it's a little farther than that out to the sideline. Whatever, twelve yards Hell in the air catch, ball, too. mostly lateral. And instead of being a heck of a six yard catch, it's a whatever yard touchdown. And AG does the rest because he's got like one guy he's got to outrun. And I like Antonio Gibson in space in that matchup. At very least, he gets right. it's a twenty five yard gain. You know, the Jonathan Williams thing, like he should see that. Um, but he's also getting fooled on some pretty basic stuff where, you know, uh, Terry, uh, the ball that he throws to Terry that almost gets picked twice, where it's like the the corner breaks it up from the safety and either guy should have had a pick. And Terry's just like, dude, nah. he thinks it's cover one. It's cover two. And, and he doesn't rip the throw like it's cover two. And it's just it, the, the, the disguise doesn't even like hold all the way till the ball is snapped. Safety starts rotating right, you know, a second before. Like Sam's got to see that and make the mental adjustment. That's what it takes to to exist successfully in this league. My qualm, query, whatever problem is that if you're not asking him to throw as much, he might feel less pressure to take those big plays. He might just be like, hey, uh, my job is to to keep this train on the tracks. I'm going to hand the ball off a ton. I'm going to do these predetermined you know screen type of stuff a ton. Like the it, it, the play calling looks different. I think the other thing is there's this kind of there's this thought that like when I make the training wheels analogy that it's oh just what Sam likes it's super pared down. That's actually the opposite of what is true. And it's funny because we had this conversation at the same time of year last year when it came to Taylor and what Scott Turner was doing. The actual way to make it easier for the quarterback is to give him more stuff. And what you do is, but you use motion, you use formation, and it's harder mentally because there's a lot of verbiage. But when you add that stuff in, it unlocks the defense and makes the read simpler. And what Sam is being asked to do right now is what Aaron Rodgers likes to do. It's fine if you're Aaron Rodgers because Aaron Rodgers is the master of seeing through everything. I remember talking to Cole Holcomb about this a couple years ago when I was still on the beat and he was a rookie and they played Green Bay and Cole was like, it's the sickest thing I've ever seen because I'm just standing there in my like <laughs> linebacker stance four yards off the ball, not remotely showing blitz and Aaron would come up to the line of scrimmage and go, you're blitzing. God. Sam can't do that. So right. why are you asking him to? How do you how do you change the strength of the formation at the last second to to cause problems and cause coverage busts that make throws easy and obvious? And they're not doing that. It's the same stuff over and over again, and defenses are all over it. And that's why he was successful earlier in the year because they weren't on it yet. Now defenses know what to expect. They're on it. The windows are tighter. It requires more anticipation. And I don't think this offense has evolved to put more on Sam's plate to actually deleverage him to use a term that Logan was using this morning. We were talking about this on take command. So I just, I don't know when you say all of those things, I feel like that it goes back to the quarterback and his inability to, to handle things and the ability to allow the offense to grow. Maybe. But to, but to me, it's all about what I said. This is like August. It is organizational malpractice to try and develop a rookie quarterback in year four of a five-year deal. The way they handle this entire quarterback situation is embarrassing, and all parties involved should no longer be employed. Jacoby Brissett clearly gives you the best chance to win, yet he was given zero reps this offseason. Jonathan Allen, Terry McLaurin, and the other veterans on this roster do not deserve that. Ron Rivera is using Sam Howell as a scapegoat. If he worked and they didn't make the playoffs, maybe he gets the chance to stick around. 
with Jacoby, based on how bad this defense is, you'd probably only be an 8-9 team anyway. That, with a veteran quarterback and no type of long-term answer uh, at, the, at the position, made, means Ron was cooked anyway. I, you tell me for 16 games or 18 games that Jacoby wouldn't have been night and day better and Terry's production would have been up. And all the things that we're complaining about with Sam under center, if Jacoby was under center, I don't think it would be the same issue. But I think the team would be just as bad. Well, that's the point. Is like actually, Ron did the organization a favor. Like, but who most is he to coaches, do the organization a favor? That's well, my whole on, thing with him. Like, hold on, but backwards. like he, the, the first problem with Ron is Ron's not good at the job at any of the jobs <laughs> right. that he has. Actually, the one he's best at is defensive coordinator. Defense actually looks like you know playable, not good, but they're not not NFL <laughs> caliber like they were the first fourteen right. weeks of the season. Um, so that's nice. Um. If you play Jacoby, do you have a better record? Probably, but you're still in the same spot, right. except for you don't actually know what Sam is. Like at this point, you at least have whatever number of games this winds up being of how to make an evaluation on. And you might decide, like, hey, this is worth it. And he has a season under his belt. Um, I think the organizational malpractice comes with the fact that they expected him to do one of the hardest quarterback jobs in the league. The organizational malpractice is they stuck him behind at best an average offensive line. They yeah. leverage him like crazy, both in pass attempts and the stuff I just talked about of like, they don't give him a lot of help in seeing things. The staff is not good. And I don't know how much of that is on Ron versus incredibly bad luck and timing, both in that they couldn't officially hire EB until he was done with last season and Eric was busy winning a Super Bowl. So some of the downstaff hires were potentially unavailable because they already had other jobs. Right. That also combined with the tightened purse strings around the sale because when you're going through a business sale of any kind, you don't allow people to spend money because you don't want to add expenses. So that probably created an inferior staff and a staff that, by the way, much of it is unfamiliar with the way Eric Bieniemy wanted to do things. Like, you don't think EB wanted to hire his own O-line coach? Like, Come that's on, right. That's a fourth coordinator, basically. The O-line coach is one of the most important positions on the team. Yes. And they, not only did they not bring in probably who they wanted, I have no idea if, if maybe EB was like, Travell Wharton looks great, sign me up. And he, along with Juan Castillo, with the Juan's long history with Andy Reid, is actually what I want. Maybe that was the case. I don't know. I'm not reporting anything. I'm just saying, like, Maybe. No, you're making a hell of a point. But they, Travell Wharton was the O-line coach. They knew it. They didn't get his contract done until like August. Yeah. That's crazy. Like, yeah. So clearly there's a lot of stuff here. And it, it's really easy to just like blame it on Ron and say like he stinks at the job. And like, look, Ron, head coach, bad at job. Ron, personnel guy, bad at job. Um, they don't, they built an offense that was supposed to be run heavy. Be, and they came out of last season. We got to be run heavy. And they hired the enemy. Like, come on. You don't have yeah. a cohesive organizational ethos at all. Nope. But there's also on top of that very severe problem, I think some bad luck and timing and like nobody's at fault. You want to blame the NFL. You want to blame Dan for not selling faster, for not forcing a sale. Like, fine. But there's just some some stuff there that puts you in a bad spot. I think the good news is, is like this is a lost season in every way it sucks for terry it sucks for john it sucks it for a lot of people it didn't but like i i also look at the coaching staff and like the stuff that i've been talking about of like okay ron why didn't you fire jack after the bears game like if this stuff was on the table why didn't you either make it happen with jack or get rid of jack earlier 
Like, I think all that stuff would have been fair game. I understood why they didn't do it. That doesn't mean that it was actually a good idea. This just goes to it's one of the Ronisms that we get frustrated about over the last four years. He hangs on to the very last moment with every personnel decision, every coaching decision, hence how Scott Turner got all of last year uh, to function when it was very clear that he wasn't the guy for the job. Big picture, I'm glad all of this will be over in about a couple of months or so. About Not a month even, and a half. couple of weeks. Yeah, a couple of weeks, and it'll all be over when we get to talk about the fun offseason that's ahead for this team. Offensively, though, do you see, or in the final three weeks of the season, do you think that there's anything that Eric in the offense can show to where you maybe change your mind on him sticking around? Because I think seeing him, seeing his offense being functioned with Jacoby at quarterback lets you know that it works. And I think the big talking point here recently is that the offense has gotten stagnant and it's come against good defenses. So it's not just the quarterback, it's Eric failing to adjust it as well. First of all, I don't know how much stock you put into what Jacoby did at the end of the game Sunday, but it's kind of hard to ignore it. No, I, I mean, the Rams' whole persona changed. Like, they're protecting the lead, they're prevent defense. But, like, Jacoby also operated with the confidence of a veteran who also could read and see the coverages and was like, oh, it's cover six, I go here. Bang, yeah. completion. Like, oh, this is NFL open. I can make this out throw to Jahan. And Sam hasn't made that throw all year. Um, I am not interested in keeping Eric here. I would be very interested in bringing Eric in, depending on who I was at another organization. If I'm the Chargers, I don't know that I necessarily want him as a head coach, but like if the Chargers want to hire another defensive guy, which seems unlikely, but let's say they look up. I, I Well, that's a bad example because they hired a Rams offense or defensive coordinator, and that's how they got Brandon Staley. But let's just just, just roll with me here for a second. <laughs> you were going to do Raheem Morris, weren't you? Yeah, say, say yeah. they like Raheem Morris. And Ra is like, I think Eric's the right guy for Herbert. That's fine with me. Because you have a quarterback who can make the big-time throws, who's seen enough, who's a veteran. Like, he's a top seven, let's say, conservatively quarterback in the league. He might be better than that. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. If I have a young quarterback, I don't want Eric as my OC because I want someone who is believes in insulating and incubating a quarterback in the way that Ben Johnson has with Jared Goff in the way that, I mean, frankly, I know he's an old, obviously a veteran, but like Kevin did with Kirk. Like, mm -hmm. Kirk Cousins is limited. Kevin was like, I understand his limitations. I'm going to make sure he maximizes his strengths and minimizes his weaknesses. And Kirk's had the best years of his career with Kevin in Minnesota. The what Sean, I mean, even Sean D leverages Stafford to an extent. Like it's very quarterback heavy because Stafford can handle a lot, but they find ways with the running game and the hard play action to make things easier. Like there are examples all around the league from what they're doing with Stroud to what to Goff to, you know, Stafford. And th those are three quarterbacks at very different points in their careers and different skill levels. I want a coach who sees everything that way uh, to be the next coach here, not someone who is like, hey, if you're awesome at quarterback, this systems can make you a champion. Because I don't think this team is going to have someone who's awesome at quarterback anytime soon, whether that's Sam, uh, who could be good, or a young quarterback who's going to take time to incubate and time to to develop into that. So I get from that, like, you, you're not liking the way Eric has handled Sam's development. Therefore, him with another young quarterback, you're a little... Correct. There's risk that comes with it. Now, I will play devil's advocate with this. This situation we've already acknowledged during this segment is just so different compared to 
a normal situation where you're developing a young quarterback. Maybe if Eric knew that there was some type of guaranteed pass this year, maybe he would have developed Sam a little bit slower uh, through the process. And I, I think. Why do you think that? Because he knows he's got next year to work with him too, not just try to force everything this year and make it look good right now. I don't think they're trying. Like, here's my thing. Mm-hmm. What was this plan supposed to accomplish? It should either accomplish a positive growth trajectory for Sam. It hasn't. Or it should, because that's the thing that would have saved their jobs is like, hey, he gets better as the year. They, if they had their year in reverse, then maybe, and they start, you know, they finish with two wins and like they're whatever they were through five games, then maybe that's that's a chance. And Sam's thrown for 300 yards by the end of the season. It's done the reverse and it's lost them a ton of football games. Like what's, what, why, why was this a good plan? I'm just playing devil's advocate here. I don't necessarily agree with the plan in terms of how much they put on his plate from the get-go. I always thought that was crazy that, like, through the first four weeks, he's leading the NFL in pass attempts, and you're not getting blown out. It's not like he's doing it because you're behind. That's just the way that you decided to call the game. Yeah. That is where I don't really have any leniency towards Eric Bieniemy and the offensive staff. That wasn't uh, the best idea. But the reason that it was kind of justified, like you said at the beginning, is because it was working. Like, as you alluded to, defenses hadn't seen him in this before, but then there was this adjustment period that everyone goes through in the NFL where you kind of grind the tape and understand what the other offense is trying to do. My problem is when that happened, there was a failure to adjust from Eric, and Sam seems like he just wasn't ready to take the next step forward. A lot of his problems that he's having this year existed while he was in college. Would Mm -hmm. I be crazy to say that he hasn't really gotten better since UNC? He's the same guy, pretty much. Well, he's in an NFL. Aspect, he's he's an NFL but, version of it, right? Like he's gotten right. better. Like if Sam went back to North Carolina now, he'd kill everybody. He'd be the best player in college football by a mile. Um, yeah. But that's not a fair comparison. Like he's on the track that I think was predictable coming out of Carolina, and unfortunately, the sack to pressure ratio stuff is has been an issue. And uh, I think that I don't know, man. Like it's tough because I I also love his makeup. I just I love Sam Howell's character as a football player as a competitor it's important to him all that kind of stuff and that makes it hard to give up on him um and also like even matt miller who loves Jaden daniels as much as anybody uh espn's draft analyst told us last week like outside of caleb williams he wouldn't replace sam with drake may Jaden daniels or anybody else in this draft so like hitting on the next guy like that's the other part of this to wrap this up because stunningly we're uh going long here uh, is Linnell's with us for overreaction Tuesday. It's not about comparing Sam to some like hypothetical. It, it's not a, it's not a binary. Do you keep him or do you not? It's what's he compared to the alternative. And I don't know that there's going to be a better alternative. And I think that's where what he did earlier this year is really reassuring. It's like, we've already seen him have success in the NFL. What happens if he gets a better environment around him and more experience? Cause he is still young. Yeah. Can he grow into a more consistent, good player? I think that's the big question. But in terms of like Matt Miller's comments, I think while it's relevant because this is what he does for a living, fans out there, doesn't matter what any of these ESPN pundits think, whoever they hire to do the job, whoever they fall in love with, will dictate and determine the plan. They could love Michael Penix and, and they feel that they can get Michael Penix in the middle of the first and they trade back. There's so many scenarios that you could go with here. I guess I'll flip it and put it back on you. Do you think Sam is the week one starter next year, Craig Hoffman? I know we're looking way out there. I have no idea, and I really am not that interested in entertaining the question because, like, it's too early. 
Yeah. Like we're still so early in the draft process, the scouting, you know, the interviews, all that kind of stuff hasn't happened. The medical is going to be really important for some of these guys. And we still have three more games on Sam and I have no idea who the coach and coordinator is going to be. So yeah. that seems like a lot of relative information. No, it um, is. I think right now, like if I'm, if I'm trying to be odds maker, it's like 50, 50, um, which I think a week ago it was 70, 30, but it's changing constantly, which you know, is crazy. we'll see. It's also got, three really ridiculously tough defenses that he's got to face in the next couple of weeks. So yeah. yikes on that. At least the game flow shouldn't get too out of hand this week because the Jets offense also stinks. I'd rather be offensively the commanders than the Jets. Tell you that much. Uh, all right. not. We'll see. It, remember, Leno, what's the what's the rule? Dumbest possible outcome at all times. Yep. Always. Uh, Leno Willingham, what's your schedule? In with the rooster tomorrow? And with the rooster tomorrow, light week for your boy. But me and him are probably going to scream at each other for about. Three I think you'll hours. get enough. I think you'll get enough in in that three hours to make up for the rest of the week. Uh, also, sure. of course, catch Linnell regularly on overtime on one hundred six seven. The fan, uh, appreciate you, sir. Thank you. Yes, sir, my man. Keep it flowing. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team Nine Eighty, always live as well on the free Odyssey app, streaming live on YouTube at the Team Nine Eighty as well. Um, so Anthony, I have been getting, uh, destroyed, destroyed by spam calls the last three days. I don't know what's up. I don't know why it's been the last three days, but it's driving me crazy. I don't like it. Do you answer every spam call? No. Do you answer every call? No. Oh. I answer calls from numbers I know. Calls I'm expecting, like if I'm going to go in with Buffalo Radio and I get a call from Buffalo, I'll answer it. Sometimes I'm like, why is someone from Buffalo call? Oh, I said I'd go on the show at 3.15. <laughs> hey, it's Greg. Hey, this is John from WGR in Buffalo. Hi, John. Um, so calls I, numbers I know, calls I, exp- like, and sometimes even if I know the number, I'm like, why are you calling me? You can leave a voicemail. You don't ever call me. Probably either a butt dial or a, I'll, I'll determine based off the voicemail or the text message you're about to send me whether we want to chat. Um, but numbers, numbers I know, uh, numbers I'm expecting. And the other one I will answer is DC numbers, depending on what it is. Like they're, they're pretty good about marking potential spam, but like it could be like a business that, you know, a dry cleaner or, a, you know, hey, your stuff is ready. Uh, doctor, like DC numbers, sometimes I'll pick up if I think there's a reason I could be getting a call from a local business. Yeah, I mean, but like I get so my phone number though, my cell phone is an eight six four number, upstate South Carolina where I grew up, and what I where I got a cell phone, and so when I get calls from unknown numbers that are eight six four numbers, which is basically all I'm getting right now, not not answering. Do you think you have any outstanding tickets in the state of South Carolina? No. Um, I've lived in South Carolina since <laughs> I was 18 years old. Yeah, but you go down there and visit, though. Yeah, but I don't think you have any outs- I don't think they'd be calling about outstanding tickets. Oh. I also don't think I've ever gotten a parking ticket in South Carolina. Oh. Speeding ticket when I was younger, but. <laughs> well, like you remember ticket. that one. It was your first one. Yeah, I got like one or two when I was a kid. <laughs> Didn't we all? No. You never gotten a speeding ticket? Never in my 27 years of life. Really? I'm joking, Craig, of course. <laughs> I was about to say. In D.C., you're definitely liable to get a speeding ticket. Have you gotten pulled over or just the 
traffic cameras. I've gotten pulled over driving to Syracuse, but that's it. Did I ever get pulled over? I definitely got pulled over at least once driving. I was going like Syracuse. eighty-two or something like that on a bro. It was a Saturday sparked, morning. You bro. just that's sparked cr- a, a memory for me. Yeah, there was because I would drive from Syracuse to Long Island where my grandparents were, and then I'd fly out of New York or I'd spend some time with with them or in New York City. And I remember one time, I feel like I saw the lights going on behind me, and there was an exit right then. (laughs) So I just, I peeled off the exit, turn, turn, and (laughs) then eventually, like, saw the cop go by, and it was just like, if they were coming for me, they missed me. Oh, yeah, I've definitely done that before. I think I was driving with my friend Cameron one time. She saw the police off. I didn't see it. Yeah. She saw them, and she's like, you're not going to slow down? I'm like, slow down for what? And I drive past the cop. I see him pull out. So I move like three lanes to the right, slow down a ton, and then he drives right by. I don't know if, you know, there was another white car on the road, but I yeah. definitely got away with one because yeah. I was speeding. So back to the phone call thing. I So I was talking about this with my buddy David this morning, and he's like, you know they're just trying to steal your voice for AI, right? And I was oh. like, what? Because I... There, I have occasionally answered them, and I'm like, mm-hmm. take me off your list. Because I'm, you know, they have the federal do not call list. They have all these things, and yep. of course, all these spammers don't care. Um, but he's like, all you need to do is, like, say hello, and then they capture your voice, and then they can, like, call your family and make it sound like you. And, like, I don't know if you've heard some of this fake AI voice stuff. It's terrifying. It's super accurate. Yeah. Um, But I was kind of thinking about that on the way in today. I was like... Clearly, they don't know it's me. Because if you want my voice, I'm not trying to tempt anybody here. I feel like this is a silly thing to put out in the universe because then if I get du- or someone in my family gets duped, I'm going to feel very stupid. But my voice, in terms of voices that are publicly available, I've got to be one of the 1% in the world. I literally talk into a microphone for three hours a day on a solo radio show, do two other podcasts, and have been doing roughly that amount of work for the better part of a decade. Certainly that amount of work for two years, and then I've been doing other stuff where my voice has been publicly available in massive quantities for a long time. So if you wanted to find my voice, it wouldn't be that hard. Not that I'm encouraging anybody, too late. But I'm just saying, like, you don't have to. I guess what I'm saying is, if if you're AI trying to trying to get me, then uh, can you at least not annoy me by spam phone calling me? Just steal my voice off the internet, yeah. please. Actually, don't steal my voice off the internet. But it seems like it'd be a lot easier, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's a good idea to be honest. That you put out into the world, just saying. Kevin Sheehan joins us next.